The Tapper Teacher Training is an annual retreat for homeschooling parents, a live in-person gathering that brings together heart-centered homeschoolers from all over the world for hands-on learning, community, connection, and fun. And I'd love to see you at Taproot 2024. We'll gather August 1st through 4th at a camp in Northeastern Ohio for a long weekend of engaging workshops, hiking and yoga, and personal reflection. Taproot gives everyone a chance to experience and practice singing, painting, and building main lessons in order to foster a deeper understanding of the hands-on, Waldorf-inspired approach. A team of experienced homeschoolers offer guidance rooted in each of their family's life to help bring you more joy to yours. This is our 18th year of offering this amazing experience. You can learn more at artofhomeschooling.com slash taproot2024. You're listening to the Art of Homeschooling podcast, where we help parents cultivate creativity and connection at home. I'm your host, Jean Miller, and here on this podcast, you'll find stories and inspiration to bring you the confidence you need to make homeschooling work for your family. Let's begin. Welcome to episode 93 here on the Art of Homeschooling podcast. For this Ask Jean Anything episode, I put out a call for questions, and today I'm going to answer six questions for you. I so often find myself saying to homeschooling parents, there are no silly questions. And if you have a question, chances are good that someone else is wondering the same thing. So here we go. I hope that one of these questions and my answer is exactly what you need to hear today. The first question comes from uh, from Instagram. The first question comes from Instagram at depth, not breadth. The question is, what is the best way to handle negative comments from family members about Waldorf homeschooling? I know this is never easy. It brings up so many emotions for us. But I think the more concise and clear we can be about our our choice to homeschool and then about our response to the question, the better. We don't owe anyone an explanation for what we're choosing to do. So when people say something negative or question our choice to homeschool, we can simply say, Something like, this is what we're choosing for now, and we'll see what next year brings. Or maybe say, our child or our children learn best with hands-on engaging activities, so we're choosing to follow the Waldorf approach. Sometimes it's homeschooling that our family objects to. Sometimes it's the Waldorf approach in particular. But I've found over and over again that if we can have a simple response, like a one sentence response in mind, we can simply be polite, 
but have really clear boundaries. Say, say a one, give a one sentence answer and then move on. The less we engage and the less defensive we are, the better. If another's doubts are triggering your own doubts, I encourage you to work through that to get and to get the support that you need so you can feel confidence in your choice. Because sometimes what happens when people question us is that we start to wonder ourselves, maybe this isn't the best thing for our children or our family. And then that comes through in our answers. So then we get really wordy in our, in our response to them or it, it comes through that we're feeling a little bit uncomfortable. So whatever you need to do to feel confident in your choice, that's always a good way to, to spend your time. So thank you, Depth Not Breadth, for that question. And I love your IG handle, by the way. One of the mantras that I regularly share with homeschooling parents is to go deep, not wide. Such an important reminder about learning and homeschooling. Next question comes from also from Instagram at the wrapped family. My kids and I are night owls. Do you think it's a good idea to sleep longer and do homeschooling later on? Yes, I do. <laughs> we want to make homeschooling work for our family, right? And that includes coming up with a daily rhythm that works for everyone. Working with our natural rhythms is way better than fighting against those natural rhythms. For me, I'm an early bird and so are my kids, at least until they became teenagers. And then it shifted for a bit. But what we want to pay attention to is, so, so for us, the result was that we wanted to get the lessons in before lunch each day. But what we want to pay attention to is, is that energy of each family member, right? So if your family does better starting lessons later in the day, then that is absolutely what you should do. Even Rudolf Steiner talked about having two shifts in the very first Waldorf school. I find this fascinating. When he was asked about how they would accommodate more than one class per grade, he said they could start one group early in the morning and the second group midday. I would hope then they would also allow children or families to choose which would work better for them. But the starting point with daily rhythm, it really is to look at each family member's natural rhythm and craft from there. Now, some families have uh, members who vary in this, right? So I would say you're probably lucky that you're all night owls. But sometimes we have kids who focus better in the morning and others who might prefer later in the day. And in that case, what uh, I recommend homeschooling parents do is to find ways of working with the ones who do better first thing in the morning, work with them first. And then with the ones um, who have more focus Later in the day, you can do the lessons with them at that time. But for sure, find what works for you. Next question, also from Instagram, from at Shosh. Shosh says, 
How can dyslexic or learning differentiated students benefit from the Waldorf method? I love this question because I've seen over and over again how the Waldorf method really meets the needs of so many different types of learners, not just neurotypical kids. And for sure, homeschooling is a great setting for children who learn on a different timetable than those in a mainstream classroom setting because we can craft the lessons to meet our children's needs. Steiner even said, we want to look at the children before us and bring them what they need. He actually invited the teachers in the first school to do this, even though they had larger, much larger groups of students than we have in our homes. This is much more possible in a homeschool setting than in a classroom of 30 kids. So how does this work with a child who might be dyslexic or learning differentiated in some way? With the Waldorf approach, we can bring the content, which are those lesson topics recommended for each age and grade, we can bring that content for the age and grade that they're in, but work on skills development based on the individual child. So for example, we might have a second grader who is still learning to read, maybe even learn, still learning to write. So we could bring animal fables as recommended for that age, but we can work on whatever specific skills are needed for the particular child. So if they're just writing, uh, if they're only able to write the title to the fable at that stage, that's fine. That's where we start. And then we work with them to uh, read that title back to us, right? At the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the block, and then we expand from there. Some families also choose to get outside help for children with special needs because some children may need that. Some children with dyslexia may need a tutor or may need someone who specializes in that area. But the trick is to find someone who is at least supportive of the Waldorf method. And all the Waldorf type activities will help the child, like stories, wordplay, verse recitation, songs, movement, verbal summaries of stories, all kinds of music, really all the lively arts can help children no matter how they learn. These Waldorf uh, methods or approaches really benefit everyone no matter how their brain develops. They be benefit all children, no matter how their brain develops. And so we can find ways of working with the curriculum to meet the particular needs of our individual children. Next question comes from Desi, who is a member of my Inspired at Home community. And she asked, my six and a half year old daughter doesn't want to sing or recite with me. She'll keep her mouth shut tightly. How do I handle this? Do I keep singing and reciting to her by myself? Will hands-on musical experiences help her? 
I haven't introduced any musical instruments yet and haven't planned any for this year. I want to keep it simple enough for me to follow through. If I feel that I can tackle more, I may introduce recorder to her. So let me just start by saying, Desi, that your daughter is not alone in this. Many children uh, have a hard time engaging in a homeschool setting, really in any setting. Uh, my boys, for example, would often ask me to stop singing. <laughs> but I think for a lot of children, such a small group as we have in our homeschools can make them feel really self-conscious, sometimes too self-conscious. So yes, I would keep singing and reciting. I would uh, simply allow for her uh, shutting her mouth with, you know, tightly. It's totally okay. Just accept that that's what she's going to do. And don't feel like it's your job to change that or to make her engage. You are offering her these songs and these uh, poems that you're reciting to her, but there's no requirement for her to engage with you. You couldn't keep inviting her to. I would definitely do that, but it's okay if she chooses not to join in. Also, lots of children need to watch for a long time before they're comfortable joining in. You might choose to introduce the recorder. That could help, but I would do it in a really super simple way by learning one song on the recorder that you already sing. And then one day you could simply play that song on recorder and then sing it and see what happens. So yes, keep the musical experiences going. Accept the fact that your daughter, for whatever reason that you may never know, is not comfortable joining in with you right now. But at some point, I bet your daughter will choose to join in. So keep going. Next question comes from Elizabeth, also a member of Inspired at Home. Elizabeth asks, how do you maintain the stamina needed for the entire school year? What sorts of things does one tell themselves to keep going when it feels like the road ahead is long? A self-care plan is necessary, but I'm wondering what in addition to self-care is necessary. Such a good question, Elizabeth, because homeschooling does take a lot of stamina. But the answer is not just self-care. I would say the answer goes way beyond that, and I would describe... Um, the, this is really the goal of inner work. So inner work is the kind of activity that fills you back up. Self-care can do that too, but inner work allows us to really get to know ourselves deep down inside and to really learn to take the very best care of ourselves that we can and to fill our, us back up, renew our spirits in such a way that we can show up fully present for the lessons. One of my favorite ways is to learn an inspiring poem by heart and recite it to ourselves each morning, perhaps when you make your, your tea or coffee. To me, I found having something in mind to tell myself when I feel down is also really important. So perhaps when you think, oh, this year feels like such a long road, how am I ever going to keep going or make it to the end? Instead, you might 
decide to look back on what you've done so far and say to yourself something like, wow, we really got some great stories in this month. The key, I think, is to recognize that when we have that thought of the heaviness or that this seems to be so hard to make it through to the end, we simply recognize that there's a partial truth in that, but there's also partial truth in the fact that we are we are accomplishing things with our children. So what you might choose to do is every time that heavy thought comes up, replace it with a different thought. The key is that we have to believe the different thought, right? We can't just pretend. But finding something that will help you to recognize the good that you're doing can really go a long way. It can make a really big difference. Also, think about what fills you back up and find ways to bring more of that into your week. Is it curling up with a good book, even if it's just for 20 minutes once a week? Or is it meeting a friend for coffee or going out on a walk or going out into nature by yourself? We want to be intentional about renewing our energy in ways that don't feel like more work to us. Hope that helps. Last question comes from Justine, who asked, how can we best accept our child and establish boundaries if their behavior is affecting their siblings and the overall home atmosphere? Uh, The dynamics of sibling relationships. Not always easy, but do remember that those children are learning how to navigate the world in the safety of your home. To me, the best way to approach this is to accept our child and establish boundaries from the most neutral possible place. Most of the time, I think what we do is pretend that we're accepting a challenging behavior and then try to deal with it through gritted teeth. Anybody relate to that? That's not really acceptance. When we truly accept, boundaries are way easier to set. So the first step is to separate the behavior from the boundary. A child gets to behave or respond any way they like. That's their choice, just like the adults in our lives do. And and then we, as their parents, get to set the boundaries any way we like. So, for example, if a child is always grabbing something from a sibling, I think sometimes it's easiest to, to think back to when they're younger. So perhaps a child is always grabbing a toy from a sibling. We might first tell ourselves in order to try to accept this, we might first just tell ourselves, yep, this is likely to happen again tomorrow, right? That's accepting the reality and the child. Then decide what we'll do and say when it does happen. Instead of the other, pretending that it's not going to happen, pretending that, you know, we know how to fix it or change it. So if we decide what we're going to say and do, Perhaps in this example of the toy, perhaps we might decide to ask the child to let their sibling have the toy first this time. 
Another example is if a child is whining or even teasing a sibling, being unkind to a sibling, we might say that when that happens, we're all going to take a break, right? We're going to head home. We're going to leave whatever activity we're doing or whatever it is you decide the boundary is going to be. The key, though, is true acceptance first. And then from that place, just choose the boundary from as neutral a position as you possibly can. I know it's a lot easier said than done, but once we recognize that um, that it all starts with acceptance and that most often when we ask these kinds of questions or when we're having a challenge with our child's behavior, it's because we haven't accepted it yet. So that's the first step. That's the true work that we need to do before we even decide what the boundary is going to be. All right, that's it for that this Ask Jean Anything episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I want you to know that I answer questions like this all the time in both my one-on-one mentor sessions and inside the Inspired at Home community, where I have group coaching calls a couple of times a month. You can find out more about both mentor sessions and the Inspired at Home community in the show notes for this episode at artofhomeschooling.com slash episode 93. Thanks for joining me. See you next time. That's all for today, my friend. But here's what I want you to remember. Rather than perfection, let's focus on connection. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Art of Homeschooling podcast. Mm-hmm.